Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of A Day in the Life of Zori podcast. My name is Zori, your host. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I am uh, grateful to all of my listeners um, that have been here from the beginning and those we've acquired along the way. So thank you so much for tuning in. On this week's episode, I thought that I would take it back to um, the quote-unquote beginning um, of one of my journeys of life, and I think it's the most important one. Um, So I want to go ahead and tell you a little bit about my journey to finding God and establishing my faith in Christianity and just my belief in the higher being that is God. Um, So let me just go ahead and dive in. Um, Again, I thank you for tuning in and I look forward to sharing this with you. So um, I grew up I was born into church. I was raised in church. And of course, growing up in church, you I knew of God. Um, but for, you know, some time, I think until you are mature enough to make those decisions on your own about your faith and beliefs, um, I didn't necessarily know God, right? Um So one connection that I do have to God um, of my own personal accord was a dream um, revelation that I had when I was maybe four or five years old in which I, crying, told my mom about the dream that I had had. And the dream was that I saw this big bright light um, out of which a hand pointed to me and said, I'm going to use you. Um, At the time, it was an overwhelming experience um, as I shared this with my mom. Now, of course, I'm 38 years old and I can vaguely remember the details of that experience. Um, But I do know that at the time when I shared this with my mom, she was moved to tears and and both of us believed that it was a true, genuine experience Um, that was, you know... A part of in, the innocence of childhood, right? Um, kids are innocent and pure and um, whole-minded, and I think it was something that I did experience and do believe in my heart that it was a personal encounter with God, but of course, long before I could truly understand the depths of that relationship. So I loved God because I thought it was what I was taught to do by my parents, but I did not have a true conscious and decided connection to God until my teenage years, until about 15 years old, um, which is when I truly began to inquire and know you know, knowingly seek out what it meant to know God. Who was God really? Why did I matter to him? And how could I believe that he was with me if I couldn't see or feel him, if I couldn't envision anything changing in my mind? Um, And it was about that age where I really stopped um, in my tracks to try and truly learn about God, what it meant to have a relationship with him. And I had my first true encounter with God um, when I was about 17 years old. And I prayed for a long time for a true revelation of God to my life. And this took place at a youth encounter where I just, I felt the Lord's presence just 
pour all over me and I saw answers to things that I had only talked to God about. Um, and it was in that moment where it just, he became a reality in my life. Right. So up to this point, um, I was just kind of living through the experiences and beliefs of others. And at that point it was something that genuinely became a part of my life. Um, since that moment of that experience, I have, had a hunger for, you know, God's presence to learn more about God, to be closer to him and to strengthen this relationship. And it was from that moment, um, for all of you that know that I am a singer, I'm a worship leader, where my voice was set apart to strictly be used for his glory. And what I mean by that is that when I try to sing, um, secular music, worldly music, it doesn't sound the same as when I use my song for the purpose of worship. Um, and it's something that took me years to really decipher and figure out. And I think it's honestly, I auditioned for, um, like American Idol in my early twenties. And I don't think it worked out because at that point I was trying to just make a break for myself, not acknowledging the fact that my talent and my gift was, destined for something else. Um, so at 19, I joined my church's worship team, which I've shared with many of you when I introduced myself in the podcast. Um, and at that time I was really just like a background singer. Um, but God had other plans and slowly but surely I began to get more solo opportunities to worship, to lead the church, to worship. Um, and it was, you know, in those instances, I would constantly hear from people just how touched they were during the section of worship where I had led worship, um, how I brought people to tears through, you know, the songs of worship that I was able to lead. And, one thing that I will share with you is that when people tell me these things, even now at 38, it makes me feel completely awkward. Um, I'm not one to shut down the compliment, right? Because ultimately people are complimenting the gift that God has given you, but it makes me completely awkward um, because I see my gift of song as any other gift. And I feel as though complimenting the gift of song that I share with the church and with anyone that, you know, encounters our church, um, makes me feel really weird just because it's not about me. It's not about my voice. Um, and honestly, like I remove like my personal self from that, which is a weird concept. I think for anyone that's not, um, in like a worship ministry calling, because it's just, it really is to lead his people to worship and the fact that you can um, kind of physically remove yourself from the equation. I just, I'm basically the shell that I present before God's presence and ask him to just move through me, to bring his people before his presence through, you know, through my voice. And it's, it's almost like I punch in, you know, at the clock for worship and then I punch out when I conclude and like, that's only for that part. Obviously you're, when you're a Christian, you lead a life of worship 
in every moment, but that specific aspect of it where I lead worship is kind of like I'm punching in and punching out of a job and the job is truly to just be a humble servant for God to minister his presence to his people. Um, so when people compliment, um, you know, that even 20 years later, here I am, uh, still leading worship, I feel completely unworthy of being able to lead worship and it humbles me to be used in this aspect. And I still feel completely awkward, um, when anyone says, you know, how wonderful it was and how great I sound, because to me, I am my worst critic, so I replay back all of the services um, that we do on live, and I pick everything apart. Um, so it's it's kind of like a weird contrast between what people experience, you know, that are being led to worship, and for me to experience it as the one leading worship. Um, so in that same sentiment, just to kind of like tie it into something recent. I just attended um, a concert or a worship experience with Maverick City Music, who I absolutely love. And, you know, I love so many of their songs. And they've been up and coming for the last four years. And, you know, we were able to attend, my sisters and I and a couple of our friends from church. And like going in, I said, you know, this, I love coming to Christian events because I get to experience worship in the same way that they all get to experience worship Sunday after Sunday. Um, you know, cause when you're worshiping and leading worship, you are giving of yourself, right? You are giving to, um, make way for God's presence and, you know, movement for the people. So very much so I'm kind of pouring out. So me being able to attend a worship, a worship experience slash concert like Maverick, city where they minister and do all kinds of stuff as they sing and, and praise and worship and everyone's just kind of in unison. I get to be a part of that other side of the coin, um, which to me is, is, is amazing. And I love it. And I love just kind of being filled and receiving rather than being the one giving. So fast forward from my teenage years into adulthood, I'm married. I became a mom. I became an aunt to nieces and nephews. And my very first niece um, at that point, I already had three nephews, but my very first niece um, arrived far too early. She was born at 26 weeks, and she gave us all, honestly, the truest test of faith and hope that I've ever experienced in my personal life. I prayed for that preemie baby like my life depended on it. I didn't sleep well. I lost appetite. I cried every night for the sake and life of my niece. I prayed with the biggest amount of faith that I could ever muster, and I prayed for healing. And every day that she survived, it was a testament to God's faithfulness and mercy in our lives. And she wasn't expected to survive the night. She's now seven. Um, and God truly put his healing hands upon her and had saved what man declared would not survive. She is a radiant, beautiful reminder of God's grace in our lives. She's a constant reminder of what living, walking miracles look like in our lives. And of course, as is true in every tragic tale of life, right? So that summer where my niece was still in the NICU, so she spent several months in the NICU, um, my husband and I found out that we were expecting a long-awaited baby number two ourselves. And it was terrifyingly beautiful because my, you know, and bittersweet because here I was sitting and comforting my sister who's sitting in the NICU with her baby 
literally fighting for her life every single day. And internally, I was rejoicing that I was finally expecting. Needless to say, this was a short-lived um, joy because I ended up miscarrying with no rhyme or reason. And the subsequent experience that I had following my miscarriage, um, you know, sitting in that emergency room with the medical staff, it's something that haunts me forever. I lived these moments of sorrow and sadness all on my own. Um, I didn't want to share it with anyone, so I kind of shut in. And, you know, at the time, little did I know that I would be in for quite literally the ride of my life after that miscarriage. I fell into depression. And honestly, at the time, I didn't see myself coming out of it. Um, and then one day in my car, on my way to work, I tuned into the radio, radio station that we love here. It's called K-Love. It's a Christian station. And then uh, usually when they're introducing fairly new music, they kind of give you a little bit of background on the artist and the song and you know the, the general basis for the song if they've been made aware of it. And as the DJs were introducing it, they share that uh, Hillary Scott from, um, oh my gosh, Lady Antebellum, Lady A, had written this song after a miscarriage herself. And it was her prayer and cry out to God during this time of sadness. So the song comes on. And I literally could not stop weeping. It was in that very moment, me feeling the lowest of lows, just feeling nothing like I'm just sitting in the bit, pits of darkness. When through that song, through music, of course, right? Wouldn't it be through music? Um, God's loving hand reached out to me and helped bring me out of this depression that I'd been kind of walking around in. Um, I was just living in a numb state. I didn't care about anything. I was just seriously living through my daily routines. And as I sat in my car, just openly crying, I just gave God my heartbreak, my pain, and my loss. And as I continued my very short commute to work that morning, if you know me, you know that my commute is literally just minutes, um, I began to just kind of feel this sense of peace that like came over me, came over my heart. And I just felt like just this deep sigh of relief and felt comforted that things would be okay, that this loss was not in vain. And that I, we would, we would receive the desire of our heart, which was to have another baby. And after the miscarriage, we went through a year of waiting, a year that carried monthly disappointments and sadness but that following summer, we found out that we were expecting, just as we were getting ready to um, take a out-of-the-country trip for a wedding, and we came back from that trip to go to our first appointment, make sure everything was going well. And when I tell you that this was the absolute most difficult pregnancy, um, excuse the squeaking in the background, my, my puppy's playing. The placenta had placed itself um, attached to the front of my uterine wall, so it just presented greater risk of detaching before the baby was actually ready, so it would require constant close monitoring throughout the process and progress of the pregnancy. 
any signs of bleeding meant that I had to run to the ER to make sure that we were still carrying a viable pregnancy. And in short, I spent so many visits to the ER almost on a monthly basis. I spent an entire pregnancy stressed and worried, but believing that the baby would be healthy and full term. My delivery for the second baby was a planned C-section due to the placenta previa condition. It was the easiest way to ensure safe delivery for me and the baby. So I literally waltzed into the OR myself, walked in in my gown, greeted everybody that was in the OR, and sat on the table to have them get me prepped and ready. This was completely opposite of my first pregnancy, which was a completely healthy pregnancy, but our delivery was completely traumatic. Our hearts had prayed for this baby, and her arrival was truly nothing short of a miracle for us. Following my 2018 delivery of baby number two, 2020 hit, and the pandemic came upon us, and life as we knew it changed drastically. My mental health suffered post-baby during both pregnancies, and adding the pandemic to the mix did not help my cause in any way. We got temporarily reassigned to work from home, and life became more stressful and worrisome than I had ever lived. My mental health was just in straight decline week after week, month after month, and I felt myself withdrawing again, going into that dark place. I again became numb, and was really just going through the motions. No effort, no energy, no interest, no excitement, literally no joy. Having two beautiful daughters that God had gifted me, I had little, no joy. Every aspect of my life was masked. I put on a brave face, but inside I was literally dying. I didn't share it with anyone. My husband, however, saw it. He felt it, and he tried to help me in the ways that he could. I called a hotline that we had at work to be immediately connected with mental health specialists. And I called repeatedly as I was on the hunt for a therapist because post the first year of pandemic, everyone was on a mental health crisis. And I cried on the line with complete strangers who didn't know me from Adam. I was breaking and could not see the light. I couldn't feel the warmth of those that I loved. I couldn't find a reason to smile. I was just numb. I could have literally closed my eyes and never opened them again. But then, there was God. I found a therapist who, like me, shared faith. And she was there with tools, ideas, positive encouraging words to help pick me up. She constantly reminded me that we have faith and we need to connect to it. Ignore the noise and just reconnect. And it hurt. It physically hurt to go through this and talk week after week, month after month. I also partnered with a psychiatrist who was also amazingly kind, gentle, and encouraging. People who didn't know me but could see the good and helped to bring up the mirror so I could see it too. So I could connect to it. And God's grace is not lost on me. His mercy was new each and every waking moment. Every morning I struggled to pick myself up, but there he was, gently moving me past this dark valley into a radiant, joyous light. And it was during a woman's group 
session at our church where we did an activity where we were being asked questions in interview form. And it was during that session that I shared for the very first time out loud how I had been enduring depression, but now I was seeing the light and God was and is so faithful to me. Even when we don't deserve his love, he gives it freely. So what I want to share is that throughout this entire time, COVID and after, I remained steadfast. I continued worshiping and leading his people to his presence. Some days it took all of my little strength to get there and do this work. And each Sunday I would sit in that office and just simply pray that it not be me, but him who speaks, who leads his people to him. I was just a mere vessel to connect his people to his presence. I wasn't worthy. I'm not more than, I'm just human. I'm a sinner. I fail all the time. I mess up every day. I get angry. I grow weak. I grow tired. And yet through all of this, he was there for me. When I felt lost, worship music connected me to his spirit. He speaks to me through music and I hear his voice and reassurance. If you ever wonder why people so fuss so much about worship, it's because it's our little expression and connection to God. It's where we can surrender everything and it's easier for us because we are able to use words that maybe we don't normally use but are familiar to us. We can speak freely via song and feel his presence, his joy, his strength fill our heart and it is the most gratifying experience. I don't praise God because I think I should. I praise him because I need to. I have a need to thank him for his love, for his mercy, for the miracles he's done in my life. There's no telling honestly where I would be today if it not, had not been for God. In that dark, severe loss of hope, no one close to me could see it, but God did. He sent me the resources and people that I needed to connect and to save my life. And when your life has purpose, and all of our lives do, God has a plan to keep us on track. And it's our choice whether we let him guide us there or not. Even when we stray as long as we can, we can humbly come back to him, and we can reach our purpose. And I know that God, I would not be here if it had been by my own strength and doing, and I thank God because he saved me. In more ways than one, he saved my life, and I will forever be grateful because I have the family that I have because it pleased him to let me have it. I have the life that I have because he gifted it to me. So whether things are awesome or they're literally falling apart, I know that I will not be shaken because I know that God is with me, always. So, if you are a person of faith, let this be your reminder to take account of the blessings and miracles that you have in your life. If you've been on the fence on faith, take this as your affirmation that yes, God is real. Yes, he is good. And yes, he loves you. Even with your faults, mistakes, and breakdowns, he loves you. And he wants the best for you. So I encourage you to seek him, to truly seek a relationship with God, to love him with all of your heart, all of your might, to praise and worship him, and simply to follow him. I promise you it will be the best decision that you've ever made. I know for me, it's the best decision that I could have ever made. And I only hope that I am teaching my kids about his love and mercy and grace, and to love him like I have grown to love him. 
because I know that my life would not be the same had it not been for God. So friends, thank you for tuning in and listening to my brief testimony. I appreciate all of you listening and following. And again, if you don't have a place to worship, we encourage you to find a place to worship. If you're in Connecticut, come check us out. We are at 1950 Stanley Street in Britain. We are a family worship church, and we would be delighted and honored to have you visit. Our services are Sundays at 10 a.m., and it would be an absolute honor to have you grace us with your presence. So friends, thank you so much again for tuning in. Until next time, God bless. Bye. Thank you.